Welcome to Side Talks. Yay, you sang us in. I don't know. I'm really happy about that. It's kind of a Neil Diamond thing. I don't know. It was a little Neil Diamond. Yeah. You know, whenever somebody steps to the stage to do a Neil Diamond song, karaoke, I get really pissed off. I get the most pissed off at Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, yeah. Get out of here with that shit. You're Don't, taking 12 minutes on. of my fucking time Don't for do that? Bohemian Rhapsody at fucking Fuck karaoke. Off. Jesus. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're we're we we're have gonna, strong karaoke opinions. We're going to earmark this for a future episode of songs that we will fucking kill you if you do during karaoke. Oh, I've got a list. I've got a long ass list. And whenever there's when twenty people get on the stage together, I am a person too who I'm not quiet about it. I feel like if you're going to get a microphone and sit in front of people, you you better bring it. You've got to be a little bit entertaining in a room where I'm drinking. Yeah, bring it anyway. We're not here to talk about karaoke, are we? I mean, we could. <laughs> we, we certainly have strong opinions. Um, we're here to talk about cinema. This is the Side Talk Podcast. I'm Corey Kraft, and who the hell are you? I'm Rachel Morgan. I'm the creative director for Sidewalk. And uh, why don't you sing a little Bohemian Rhapsody as we go into the podcast? Is this the real life? <laughs> is this just podcasting? Oh, no. I changed oh, the lyrics no. for... Um, you know, we the appropriateness of the occasion. Everyone. I'm sorry to everyone I just offended um, by doing that, which is everybody. Let's talk about movies. Oh my gosh, what do you hear? Wind chimes. What is this? Reflections. Reflections. It's actually reflections and retractions. Combo situation. <laughs> Combo situation. I'm going to retract and then reflect. Okay. Um, because, you know, we, we like to switch it up on the podcast. We do. We don't stick to any one damn thing. That's, well, we kind of do. I mean, but well, <laughs> we kind of do. I mean, I, we're always throwing surprises at one another and, and hopefully also at the listeners. And I mean, this is a perfect example of that where we're going to, as I flip through my notes to try to to try to try uh, find the page I just lost when singing, um, <laughs> we're going to retra- – I'm going to retract something and then reflect on it. Uh, and that is that I mispronounced a word. Uh-oh. And uh, this was a couple of episodes ago, and our, our, our cinema manager, Aaron Penhaus, who, by the way, loves to correct me on <laughs> many, many things, many, so many things, including just when I'm there to help with concessions and I say a, I say a word in a funny way, he'll, he'll pull me aside and correct me then. So he passed along a note to Sam to give to me, even though I do see him quite frequently. And so I mispronounced Denome. I said denouement, and it is actually... Denouement. Denouement. And so my deepest, deepest regrets for having made that, that error. <laughs> um, and, Aaron, and, come on the podcast. Oh, Aaron, please come on the podcast. I would love to five-minute fight with you about nacho cheese. <laughs> and I, it's a five-minute fight. It's a 500-minute fight that we are still in the middle of. <laughs> Um, and I'm definitely going to win that one. And I'm happy for Sam to jump on the mic and have my back on, on nacho cheese at the cinema. Yes or no. I'm yes. Who do you think is fucking winning? Uh, I would put my money on you. (laughs) (laughs) So where this leads me to though, is, you know, not to bash Aaron or anything like that. Um, I appreciate notes of all kinds and I get them frequently. Uh, I did go to art school. So it was a four-year process of receiving notes. Uh, And then I got out into the world and worked in advertising where I received more fucking notes. Um, 
And so, and I feel like my entire junior high existence being an awkward junior high schooler was an entire junior high experience filled with fucking notes. So I get them all the time. Um, And my ex-girlfriend is a producer and her job was to give notes and she will still to this day, is probably listening to the podcast right now and will be giving me notes. So it's a lifetime of notes. Um, But with, with such, I was sort of thinking about how uh i don't not to not to martyr it up here because i don't it's not how i feel at all it's a privilege to be able to have a podcast it's a privilege to have batwell studios support us in this endeavor it is a privilege to have people listen to this listen to us just talk uh and so it's not at all in any kind of way am i so bored for me but it is it's quite a thing to sit in a microphone and talk into a microphone yeah because you're going to make mistakes you're going to say the wrong thing you're going to pronounce words the wrong way and it can be quite daunting. Yeah, this is this is not you know a, a scripted podcast, folks. We're we're just off the cuff here. Yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> and so I I tend to have I don't I think it's a I have a fairly poor memory, mm. um, and I have a I have a bit of a of um, a weird sort of a hesitance with words, like a, almost like a an anxiety around certain words. And and saying them and saying them properly. And it's not just one or two. I mean, it's many. And so I was I've been thinking about that a good bit because, you know, I try to be right. I also had uh, when I was in graduate school and I knew I wanted to teach film. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Butler at the University of Alabama yeah. was my he, he was my lead on my thesis and he knew I wanted to teach. And he was very strict and insistent about proper pronunciation. Yeah. And would give me notes on that all the time. And so I have a lot of hesitation and anxiety around all kinds of of, of being correct uh, about what I say and how I say it and pronouncing things properly, et cetera, et cetera. And, and as everybody who's ever listened to this podcast more than once knows, maybe if you've only listened once, you know, I mess up all the time. Um, but I was watching – so I've been thinking about that and I was watching a, a sort of short little interview segment when putting together a playlist for the cinema the other day. And I, Jack Black was talking about a similar anxiety. Yeah, that he has a like. It's he said it's the way that he experiences it is that he can see it in his head the right way to say something or the right answer. But by the he's so much anxiety around it. By the time he gets to it, it's already the moment's already passed, mm-hmm. and he screws it up. Some he screws it up different than he would have if he just said it, kind of thing. And he he said this specifically in relationship to. Uh, performing a song at a memorial for Elliot Smith, mm. where he performed. Everybody went up on stage and performed a song, and he had been asked to do it. And he's usually a comedic performer, even musically, but he, you know, was like, "I was going to do this. I'm going to." One day, asked me to do a serious song at an Elliot Smith thing. I'm going to do it. So he goes up to do it, and it took him eight different tries to get through the song all the way. Mm. Whereas everybody else went up and you know had it on the first try, but that that's his level of anxiety around. Yeah. And it's like he he said he knew the lyrics, but it would just get to that second sort of get to the second verse and it would just go. It's mm-hmm. like they were there and then they're gone. So anyway, it's a bit of a retractions, reflections just on the way that my brain works and how difficult it can be to just talk into a microphone. Yeah, look, folks, performance anxiety is real. I mean, Sonia Sotomayor today mispronounced Kamala Harris's name when swearing her into the, the office of the vice presidency. Shit. I mean, you know, talk about a flub, right? Uh, but, you know, that's Sonia Sotomayor and, and, 
you know, we, we stand a legend or whatever the kids say. Um, she, she's, she's fine. Um, it, it happens to people. So, you know, relax. Uh, I, I knew what you were saying and I usually know what you were saying. Sometimes in the five minute fights, I don't know what the fuck you're saying, but, uh, that's not, um, <laughs> uh, that's not abnormal. Um, that's just how our, that's just how our relationship is. Uh, so everybody, if you hear a word, uh, mispronounced ever by anybody, uh, the thing to do is just, just give us notes. I was going to say, uh, <laughs> the opposite of that. Just like, you know, let it go. Unless you're a teacher like me, um, whose job it is to correct students sometimes, in situations like this, like we're reading Romeo and Juliet in yeah. my English class. And so some of the pronunciations have to be precise to fit into the, the meter of the writing, um, yeah. dropped syllables and things like that. But otherwise, is there ever really a good time to correct pronunciation of, of people, what people say? Well, Aaron yeah. and Dr. Butler would say yes. Well, but as an English teacher, don't you do you have a similar anxiety? Do you feel because your your job is to be precise, right? I yeah. mean, part of your job. And I, I I'm not dissing Dr. Butler here. I mean, he's correct. I'm I'm an, I'm supposed to stand in front of a class yeah. and have authority and I should be pronouncing people's names correctly. I my anxiety around that's my own fucking problem. Yeah, also so, shout out to Dr. Butler who was also my <laughs> professor in school. Um recently retired. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you hope have he's this, doing well. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. Um um um, I, I, I suppose I mispronounce words um, just as much as anybody. My thing is more of a, a stutter because uh, words will come more mm. easily to me. They come easily to me mentally, and, and sometimes it's just difficult to get them out. Yeah, I do a stutter and I do um, a I do an um. Yeah, those well, are the, those the, are things. What what is that called? The the filler, the vocal vocal filler. I don't know. I don't. There's a term for that. It's tough. It's um, tough. Yeah, but you know, um, all we can do is aspire. Uh, to to be better, and that's what we are all about here at the Side Talks Podcast: constant improvement. Um, oh, absolutely! So. The most interesting thing that came out of this reflections retractions was that there might be a future fight between Aaron Penhaus and I over nacho cheese. I want this to happen. I really do. I bet we can make uh, that happen. We got to get more uh, sidewalk folks in this room uh, behind the microphone so they can uh, take their fucking medicine. Let's do <laughs> and it. Be corrected with their their uh, bad opinions. Sam, can you make a note instead of me directly talking to Aaron? I'm going to see if you could ask him to come on the podcast and fight with me about five minute fight with me about nacho cheese. We got a thumbs I'm up from Sam. I'm going to pronounce it nacho. Ah, yes. Nacho cheese. Well, it's, anyway. it's only nacho cheese when it's from the nacho region of – never mind. I'm not going to make that joke. Oh, Jack Black and nacho being mentioned in one segment. Anyway, reflections, retractions. And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders III to the studio for his segment, Film History Minute with Charlie Brown. The town of Marfa near the Texas-Mexico border was used to simulate Bakersfield, California in the film There Will Be Blood. A reason for the use of the town is that there are many abandoned shafts dug at the early 20th century. One of the shafts is a deep 60 to 70 feet shaft used in the film. While on location in Marfa, Texas, No Country for Old Men was the neighboring film in production, and one day Paul Thomas Anderson and his crew were testing pyrotechnical effects of the oil fire, and this caused an enormous billowing of smoke which intruded on the shots that the Coens were trying to achieve that day. This caused them to delay filming until the following day when the smoke dissipated. Both this film and No Country for Old Men would eventually become the leading contenders of the Academy Awards a year and a half later.
This is the first film directed by Paul Thomas Anderson not to feature Philip Seymour Hoffman, the only one before the latter's death. Philip Seymour Hoffman was the original actor in mind when Paul Thomas Anderson wrote the role of H.M. Tilford, but Anderson decided to cast someone else as a means of distancing himself from his past works to sort of have a rebirth in his career without any loose ends connecting him to other more lighthearted films, such as Boogie Nights or Punch Drunk Love. Hoffman was also busy filming Synecdoche, New York, at the time Tilford's scenes were being shot anyway. Dylan Frazier, who plays H.W. Plainview, the son of character played by Daniel Day-Lewis, was not an actor. He was an elementary student near the film's West Texas shooting location. Director Paul Thomas Anderson said that when the production was trying to convince Dylan's mother to allow him to be in the movie, his mother wanted to figure out who Daniel Day-Lewis was. So she rented a copy of Gangs of New York, in which Daniel Day-Lewis plays a murderous gang leader nicknamed The Butcher. She panicked at the idea of her son spending time with the man she saw in that movie, so There Will Be Blood casting department rushed her a copy of The Age of Innocence. Kel O'Neill was originally cast in the role of Eli Sunday, but was replaced by Paul Dano after shooting had begun. Dano had been originally cast in the much smaller role of Paul Sunday, Eli's brother. However, after Dano had already started filming his one scene as Paul Sunday, Anderson asked Dano to play Eli Sunday as well, then decided to change the film to make the brothers identical twins. Anderson asked Dano to play Eli on a Thursday, and filming for the role began four days later on the following Monday. Daniel Day-Lewis, by contrast, had prepared for the role over the course of three years to play Daniel Plainview. Daniel Day-Lewis based the voice for and characterization of Daniel Plainview in part on old recordings of the director, writer, and actor, John Huston. Day-Lewis accepted the role of Daniel Plainview as he had been a fan of Anderson's previous film, Punch Drunk Love. According to producer Joanne Seller, the film might not have even gotten made at all if Daniel Day-Lewis had declined the role. Daniel Day-Lewis improvised the speech he gives to the citizens of Little Boston about building schools, bringing bread to the town, etc. Paul Thomas Anderson says of this, It was delicious. It was plain view on a platter. Every Wednesday night during the editing, Paul Thomas Anderson and company would have just steak and straight vodka for dinner to keep in the mentality of Daniel Plainview. Daniel Plainview bears some resemblance to a real early 20th century California oil tycoon named Edward L. Doney. Both were from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, both were employed by Geological Survey and worked in Kansas, and both tried a hand at mining before going into the oil business. The bowling alley scene in There Will Be Blood was filmed at Greystone Manor, a California estate Dahoney built as a present for his only son. Also interestingly enough, the infamous milkshake speech Daniel Plainview gives is based on transcripts of congressional hearings concerning the Teapot Dome scandal in which the very same Edward L. Doney had been accused of bribing a political official. Paul Thomas Anderson found the metaphor in congressional transcripts, and according to Anderson, I think it was Albert Fall who was asked to describe drainage before Congress, and this way of describing it was, if you have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake, and my straw reaches the... I don't know. I embellished it, I'm sure, and changed it around. But Fall used this word milkshake, and I thought it was just so great. It was crazy to see the word among all this other official testimony and terminology, milkshake. I still get really happy every time I hear the word. Several characters seen or mentioned in There Will Be Blood seem to have been based on historical figures. Though his name is never spoken during the film, Plainview's business partner H.B. Aylman shares the name of an actual prospector and oil man who was active during the turn of century and associated with oil tycoon Edward L. Doney. 
The two standard oil representatives, H.M. Tilford and J.J. Carter, who met with Plainview, are based on historical oil men. Henry Morgan Tilford was once vice president of the Standard Oil Company during the turn of the century, while John Joyce Carter's Carter Oil Company was incorporated and subsidized by Standard Oil in the 1890s. Although the script is based on the Upton Sinclair novel, Oil, Paul Thomas Anderson used only the first 150 pages. The screenplay for this film was featured in the 2006 Blacklist, a list of most likable unmade scripts of the year. With a $76 million worldwide gross, more than thrice the budget, this is the most profitable film Paul Thomas Anderson has ever made. It was dedicated to the late, great Robert Altman. And now, fast film terms. Hey, Corey. Hey, Rachel. Was that was that you saying fast film terms super it fast? It was, it was. Well, I guess it's time for fast film terms. Throw one at me. What's a juicer? Uh, a guy who uses steroids. I love it because that's normally, I've said the word juicer on this podcast like a million times, yeah. especially when I was frequently in the cardio cinema. Juicer this, juicer that, this fucking juicer. That comes out of my mouth a lot. But what a juicer is actually in the industry is a lighting technician who works under the gaffer. Okay. Well, yeah, you provide the juice to the exactly. lights. Exactly. So gotcha. that juice not being steroids or the pure testosterone that's but, being driven through your body while you're lifting weights in the gold's gym. It is electricity that comes out of the wall. As, as, yeah. <laughs> as someone who, who does lift, uh, thank you for clarifying because that, oh, that sweet, welcome. sweet, you know, life-giving testosterone that's is better right. than electricity for my muscles. You juicer. Okay. So anyway, here's the next one. Okay. Uh, swing gang. Um, the Brian Seltzer Orchestra. Oh, boy. Come on. That's that a good should, joke. You're never allowed that's a to good mention joke. that Come on. on this podcast. Come on. It's a good joke. Oh, boy. It's a, actually a team of grips assigned to strike and clean up after filming. Okay. That's what a swing gang is. That makes sense. And we've we've mentioned what a grip is before on the uh-huh. podcast, but let's just do a little refresher. Do you remember? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so... It is a it, very, very important to say skilled laborer because mm-hmm. it does it does sound a little unskilled, but it is a skilled laborer whose job is to, you know, work generally with the lighting department, but sometimes with the art department to, to set up and yeah. hang and rig and, uh, you know, and and heck, dig holes if they need to, whatever sort of labor needs to happen for a film to, ha- to take place and for shooting to to happen. Uh, this yeah. is a pro uh, pro labor podcast. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. So so God bless the Teamsters um, and uh, all the work they do on film sets. And that yeah, I agree. And that is that is fast film terms, including a little bit of a uh, a nod to a former fast film term. That's right. Thank you so much for listening to Side Talks. We are your own personal cinematic Stephen Blaine. Okay. I think we've yeah, done I, that one before, mm. but you know what? Fuck it. I don't care. Stephen Blaine's the best. Yeah. Okay. But I, I just watched that movie, you know, a couple months ago for the drive-in. And if for, you want to sleep with trash, sleep with trash. That's a pretty good spader. You're that's a, a bitch. That's, that's a pretty good spader. You're a bitch. What? <laughs> no, I'm just You're just, I'm just continuing quoting. the spader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's the you. best spader. It's my favorite spader. Anyway, thank you for listening to Side Talks. Thank you to Batwall Studios. I'm trying to think of my favorite spader. <laughs> it's either it's either Sex Lies and Videotape or Crash is my favorite spader. Oh, but that really? would be the case for me because those are those movies. This like also Lesson Zero is the one where it's like 
Julian, I don't care about your trust. I just care about my 50K. I think we should we should close out the podcast doing Spader impressions. I mean, why not? Also, let me just point to the fact that a 21-year-old, I maybe even less, 20-year-old had a 50K cocaine habit and less than zero. I mean, anyway. the 80s, man. What are you going to do? <laughs> 50. And that's, the, that's another point. The 50K in the right. 80s. How much cocaine was that gentleman snorting? Anyway, thank you for listening to Side Talks. We don't care about your trust. We only care about your 50K. Check us out at SidewalkFest.com. That's not a good spader. I can't do a spader. Um, SidewalkFest.com and at SidewalkFilm on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I don't think either one of us can do a good spader. Well, Well, spader is spader. uh, he's, He's hard to do. Anyway, thanks for listening. Bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.